0: The desire of Titus Women is to invite women around the world to know Jesus as their Savior, Center, and Source. May God guide and encourage you through this message by Beth Coppage. I want to read Jeremiah 36, okay? We'll start in Jeremiah 36. Now it came to pass in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, that this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Take a scroll of a book and write on it all the words that I have spoken to you against Israel, against Judah, and against all the nations, from the day I spoke to you, from the days of Josiah, even to this day. It may be that the house of Judah will hear all the adversities which I purpose to bring upon them, and every one may turn from their evil way, that I may forgive their iniquity and their sin. This is chapter 36. Chapter 39 is the fall of Jerusalem, and what is God doing? One more time, I've said it to them through the preaching word. I've said it to them through metaphors. I've said it to them through word word pictures. Now maybe if we write it down, maybe they'll read the writing and their hearts will turn. So he says, so they may turn from their evil way and I will forgive their sin. God is so willing to forgive and to meet us if we will just let him. So Jeremiah called Baruch the son of Nariah, and Baruch wrote on a scroll of a book all the instructions of Jeremiah, all the words of the Lord which he had spoken. And Jeremiah commanded Baruch, saying, I am confined. I cannot go into the house of the Lord. You go, therefore, and read from the scroll which you have written at my instructions the words of the law, Lord and the hearing of the people. And the uh, in the hearing of the people in the Lord's house on the day of fasting and you shall also read from them in the hearing of all Judah who come from their cities it may be that they will present their supplication before the Lord and everyone will turn from his evil way for great is the anger and the fury that the Lord has pronounced against his people and Barak the son of Neriah did according to all that Jeremiah the prophet commanded him reading from the book the words of the Lord in the Lord's house. So he read all the words in the Lord's house. Some of the noblemen heard him. And we pick up this story, if you would, over in 19. And then the princess said to Barak, Go and hide you and Jeremiah and let no one know where you are. And they went to the king into the court, but they stored the scroll in the chamber of Elishama, the scribe, and they told all the words in the hearing of the king. So the king sent Jehudi to bring the scroll, and he took it from Elishama, the scribe's chamber, and Jehudi read it in the hearing of the king. And in the hearing of all the princes who stood beside the king, now the king was sitting in the winter house in the ninth month with the fire burning on the hearth before him. And it happened when Jehudi had read three or four columns that the king cut it with the scribe's knife and he put it into the fire that was on the hearth until all the scroll was consumed in the fire that was on the hearth. Yet there was they were not afraid, nor did they tear their garments. The king nor any of his servants who heard all these words Nevertheless, Elnathan, Delilah, Gamara implored the king not to burn the scroll, but he would not listen to them. And the king commanded Jeremiah, the king's son, Sariah, the son of Israel, and Shelemiah the son of Abdel, to seize Barak, the scribe, and Jeremiah, the prophet. But the Lord had hidden them. And then I'd like to read Philippians 3, 7 through 10. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed, I count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the lost things and count it all rubbish, that I may be gained Christ and be found in him. Not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering and being conformed unto his death. Dear Jesus, we just pray today that you might come. We believe you have something to say to our hearts. And Jesus, we ask that you might come by the power of your sweet Holy Spirit, to speak to every one of us. We pray today that out of of this time around the Word, that you might make radical Christian women out of us, radical in the sense that today is the day we totally sell out to you 150%, every cell, every chromosome, every part of who we are. And that, Lord Jesus, you might move today to make us women after God's own heart. Jesus, we plead the blood of Jesus over this time. We bind the evil one over this time. We pray that, Father, when we have left here, we will know that we have met with God. And we thank you, Father. Open the word to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Jeremiah 5.1, the theme for the book, run up and down through the streets of Wilmore, Kentucky, Lexington, Kentucky, Nicholasville, Kentucky, Mount Sterling, Kentucky, Harrodsburg, Kentucky, Georgetown, Kentucky, and see if you can find how many? One woman who seeks truth and does righteousness, and I can forgive the city. And truly God found, when he found Jeremiah, he found one. Today our lesson is on the incredible faithfulness of the person of God himself to the people of God. It is on the incredible faithfulness of God himself to the prophet Jeremiah. It is on the incredible faithfulness of the prophet Jeremiah to God and the way God strengthened him. Let's look at chapter 34. When we look at chapter 34, the word of the Lord comes to Jeremiah and and he says once again that judgment is coming upon the people of God. Now Zedekiah and he says to Zedekiah, he says, Repent, repent, turn from your evil ways, and and go with go with Babylon and let and, and surrender to Babylon and, and I will take care of you in the far country. But Zedekiah isn't ready to do that. He's not ready to do that. So they're having a fast day the Jews are because of the pressure of the siege and and they so Zedekiah issues an order and he says let's free all the indentured servants and slaves because every seven years all the indentured servants and slaves that were Jewish were to be freed so they, they were trying to bargain with God so what the pressure's on they're having a fast day they're fasting And seeking the Lord, but we know it's in pretense instead of reality, because God has already said, this is what I want you to do. Surrender to the Babylonians and let me take care of you in Babylon. They were unwilling to do what God wanted them to do, but they still kept up their religious form. And very serious religious form. We think of fasting as one of the highest things. So they fast. And then he said, let us make a covenant. And he uses the word covenant in eight. He says, Zedekiah made a covenant with the people who were at Jerusalem to proclaim liberty with them. He he said, let every man set his servants free that need to be set free. They have not, these were people who have not been able to pay their debts or people that had been in trouble with the law and had been bought and put into slavery. Now it, about that time, and he puts it in covenantal language. We'll make a covenant to set all these people free. The king with the people. Well, then what happens? Trouble comes with Egypt. And Necho is coming against him. And so Assyria, uh, uh, Babylon leaves the the sieging of Israel and goes to work uh, to attack Egypt. So for a few moments, for a few, a little while, the pressure is off Israel. So what happens? He cancels the covenant and he says, wait a minute, I changed my mind. He said, it's all off. And they take their slave, their indentured servants they've set free, and they put them back into slavery. So that the minute, so what happens? What I believe God is showing us here is that if you and I do not keep our covenantal commitment with God. So that you and I are all his and we are, and he is all ours and that we are walking in obedience, whether it's convenient or whether we like it or not, or whether we even understand it or not. If we are walking in obedience to that covenantal commitment, we will keep our covenants with each other. We will keep our covenants much in our marriages we will keep our covenants with our children we will keep our covenants with our older parents we will keep our covenants with one another but the minute we begin to slight our covenant with God so we say I will love you in pretense but please don't want I don't want to walk in obedience to you I don't want to really hear what you have to say I want to live my life the way I want to live it but I want you to bless me the way I want to be blessed when we begin to walk like that not only is our covenant broken this way but we break covenant with one another so that we talk about covenant but we break covenant that is why there is no difference in American evangelicalism between the divorce rate between the Christians and the non we're not keeping covenant with God we love him in pretense but not in reality And with full obedience. That's why our abuse is just about as high as it is in the non-Christian. We have all the sins of the community and the world around us and the culture around us because as believers, we are not holy his and we are not keeping covenant with him. And the holiness of Jesus is not permeating every fiber of our being because there's still parts of it where I just don't want to obey in some areas of my life. I just don't want to hear. It's very much like when we call our kids in from the backyard and say, okay, it's time to come in. And you can have, I remember kept calling Billy, Susanna, Billy. I was always playing in the back pasture. So he never could hear me. And there I was yelling like a little banshee mother all over the neighborhood. And he was very easy for him just to turn and not hear. So that's when I got a bell. <laughs> and I said if you hear that bell I will ring it three times if you not hear by the third time woe be unto you <laughs> <laughs> so that the Lord is trying to say that to them woe be unto you but they didn't listen now 35 once again God comes teaching them and he gives a concrete example of the Rechabites and who are the Rechabites the Rechabites are descendants of of The the Midianites, the Kenites, Moses' father-in-law, and remember his little wife was um, a a Kenite. These are some of this nomadic people that are related by marriage to Israel. They're called the Rechabites. And their great-great-grandfather, Jonadab, had said to them, when he died, he said, I don't want any of you to drink wine or, or strong liquor, and I want you to stay a nomadic people. And for generations, even though wine was very prevalent and grapes were very prevalent, these people had not touched wine for many years. And for uh, since then, they had been nomadic people, and it's and so they had obeyed the patriarch of the family, because this is how he said, how he wanted them to live. I want you to say separate unto yourselves. I want you to just be a witness to the community around you. I don't want you to get sucked up in luxury and sensuality and immorality. I don't want you to take roots down into the community around you so that you absorb the cultures around you. He said, what I want you to do is to be uh, separated. And separated in, in your, in not drinking and separated in how you live. And you're not to put roots down in this world. You're to be separated as a family group. And do you know what? Because that grandfather had said that, our great grandfather, the Rechabites had not touched any liquor and the Rechabites had just been nomads and shepherds, just like Israel had been before. So Jeremiah puts them to the test. They have actually come into the city of Jerusalem because of all the fighting outside the city wall, and they would have been destroyed. So for purposes of protection, they've come into the city. As they come into the city, Jeremiah finds them and the Lord says, Get the Rechabites and bring them into the and he brings them and he says, Spread wine before them, big bowls full of wine. So he calls them in and they have a family meal and he puts big bowls of wine before all these people. And they said, we can't touch it. We won't have anything to do with it. Jeremiah says, well, why not? I said, well, we can't. Our patriarch of our family told us long time ago we could not touch any wine and we will not break that covenant. Key phrase, we will not break that covenant. And they said the only reason we're in this city is because we would all be killed if we were outside because of the siege. As soon as the siege is over, we're going back to our nomadic land. We will not disobey our forefathers. And God says the Rechabites are willing to obey their fathers and their grandfathers and they're willing to live differently than anyone else in the world and they're willing not to touch wine or strong drink and they're willing to just be obedient to a covenantal family relationship. They're willing to do for an earthly father and grandfather what you are unwilling to do for the eternal God. And even in that, it brings judgment upon Israel. So then God goes to chapter 36 and he says, wait a minute. They're not hearing me by preaching. They're not hearing me by my, my metaphors. They're not hearing me by object lessons. We'll write it all down. So he's and so he calls Barak to him and to Jeremiah and Barak. I love. <laughs> Do you know what his brother served in the court of Zedekiah? And Barak took another road and he served with Jeremiah and the 45th chapter of the book of Jeremiah is that God, his brother, died in the siege. The one who followed Zedekiah. But Barak, who took all the infamy and gaff of being related to Jeremiah the prophet. There's a whole little mini-chapter that talks about God's care for this faithful scribe and servant. God takes care of his own. So Baric sits there, and he writes out on a scroll what Jeremiah says. Do you know what? The book of Jeremiah is in imperfect sequential order. Do you know why? When you're in incredible grief, can you get all your thoughts just down real logically? No. Can you imagine the grief in the soul of that prophet? And then the grief after chapter 39 when it falls when he sees everything gone especially the temple and the people were not here so he writes it out for jeremiah and then Jeremiah can't go to deliver it because they've kept him bound up so Baric takes the scroll and goes to the temple and he reads and as he reads the scroll and shares what god's going to do and the judgment that's coming princes, some of them begin to hear it, and they're afraid. And they said the king needs to hear that. So they take, um, the princes say to Barak, go hide and hide Jeremiah, and then don't let anyone know where you are, but give us the scroll. And then we have here Jehoiakim, who is absolutely evil as the king, and he takes part of that scroll and rips it and burns it up rips it and burns it up rips it and burns it up once again god is showing the incredible hardness of heart of the people of god and of the leadership of god and in chapter 37 what happens they have to start again god says rewrite it write it again That's what you and I read when we're reading the book of Jeremiah. So they write it again. Jeremiah is imprisoned. Zedekiah says, uh, the word of the Lord came and Zedekiah uh, sent to Jeremiah and he said, what's going to happen to me? He said, well, let me tell you one more time, Zedekiah. If you'll obey God and if you'll, surrender to the babylonians you will your life will be yours your people will be saved your children will be saved your sons will be saved if you don't judgment will come and you'll lose it all but he doesn't believe them and so jeremiah gets ready when egypt draws back babylonians draw back jeremiah gets ready to go home to anathoth and to see his piece of property and um As he's getting ready to go out of the city, one of the men says, you're defecting to the Chaldeans, and they throw him in jail. So he's imprisoned. And chapter 38, he's imprisoned again. And this time, Abimelech, they drop him in a mucky, miry pit. And Abimelech, an Ethiopian, comes to him and says, wait a minute. He says to the king, "That's he's going to die in there, and he doesn't deserve to die. The princes have thrown him in there at your, at your permission. And so they." he takes claws and pulls him out of the pit. And then Zedekiah asks him again, what's going to happen to me? Jeremiah says it one more time. And then in chapter 39, Jerusalem falls. It's all over. It's all over. And they carry him off. And who's spared? Abimelech. (laughs) The one that helped him. Who else is spared? Barak. And then the, the people of Babylon are very kind. Very kind to Jeremiah. And they say, Jeremiah, the sins of your people have caused us to conquer them. They weren't as blind as the people of God. And they said, just what you've said has happened. Now, you can go with us to Babylon, or you can stay here with the people that are left, the poorest of the poor. And then they put a very good man in charge of Israel. His name was Gedaliah. And his father had been actually one of the men in the king's court who had kept Jeremiah from getting killed. And so Gedaliah is a a good man. So God hasn't totally left the people that were in Israel. The ones were carried off, like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but the others are left, and and Gedaliah is put in charge. What do they do? They murder Gedaliah. So then they're afraid that Babylon's going to come back again, so they say, we're going to go to Egypt. And they come to Jeremiah and they said, Should, what should we do? What should we do? And Jeremiah said, Don't go to Egypt. Stay right here. God will take care of you. Just stay right here. No, they, we don't want to hear what you have to say. So they bind him up and carry him off in Egypt. And the captives end up in Egypt and the 44th chapter is all about how the Israeli women are offering sacrifices to the queen of heaven in the middle of Egypt and how they are so angry for Jeremiah and said, the minute we stopped offering sacrifices to the queen of heaven, that's when all this happened. And God says, enough is enough. And the people of Israel ended up back in Egypt from where whence he had taken them how many years before. And they were absolutely reprobate and lost. And God said, enough is enough, and you never hear from them again. Because what happened, Babylon came and destroyed Egypt, and the very stones where they were building sacrifices to the queen of heaven God said right here is where Babylon is going to reign and sure enough Babylon came and conquered Egypt and all those people were utterly lost and utterly destroyed and the reason was they refused to believe God they refused to trust God they kept saying I'll do it my own way I know what's best for me and they ended up in absolute disaster and absolute destruction they would not listen to truth. Is that very different from our society today? We have never had a nation in the history of the world that has had as much light or as much truth as our nation. And what have we done? We've said, pardon me, I want to do it my own way. And God calls and he gives us books. And you can go to the family bookstore and there's churches on every corner. And yet we refuse to hear, I will serve you in pretense. I will serve you when the pressure's on. But Lord, if you don't perform the way I want you to, I'm out of here. And so what we have is a nation today that is in the chaos it is in because as a people we have not sought God in truth. And forever in the history of the world, As long until Jesus comes again, Jeremiah, the prophet, stands as an example, maybe more than any of the other prophets, as the suffering servant. Because unlike Joseph or some of the other prophets, it doesn't end with a happy ending. He never sees, he never ends up in the palace like Joseph did. What he saw was to his death, And church history has it. He was stoned to death as a false prophet in Egypt after 46 years of faithfully teaching the word. Now, the question that comes to me at the end of this study, and I hope maybe the question that comes to you, is would I be as faithful in Jeremiah, as Jeremiah in that day? But more importantly, am I as faithful to God in this day when God, when life does not treat me the way it wanted to, when God doesn't work the way I expect him to, will I be faithful to share the truth and to do what is right no matter what it costs? and that is exactly what Jeremiah did he walked in truth he heard from the Lord he said what the Lord said even when he ended up in the pit even ended up in prison even ended up with everything he said burned up he still served God and he served him in faithfulness and what was the secret? what was the secret? the secret was in chapter 1 where God says I will make you a fortified city, an iron fence, and a brass wall, and I will be with you to deliver you. I will be with you the promise of the personal presence of Jesus Christ in his life. So that what carries you and I from birth to death, what carries us in our relationship with God, it is his presence as we come from the fire and then keep going back into his presence back into his presence back into his presence and living in the presence of jesus so that we begin to know as we live in that presence we can see clearly we can hear clearly we can understand clearly and we can know what truth is and we can walk in it and god's asking today for some women who will begin to be all his and will begin to say jesus I want to just be all yours and I want to walk in truth and then I want to walk in righteousness and righteousness is right with you and right with other people it's relational and so that I begin to do what's right not what I want to or what is expedient but when I hear him and knows what, know what he wants me to do I will obey no matter if I die that's the essence of the gospel And that is what Jesus Christ himself did. Jeremiah is a type of Christ. He obeyed and was faithful no matter what. And what was the Lord Jesus? He was obedient to the will of the Father even unto the cross. And in the going to the cross, he brought about the redemption of the world. And once again, the world is looking for some men and some women and some children who will be models to say, I like the Rechabites. I cannot take this. I cannot do that. I must live this way because I'm in a covenantal relationship with the eternal God. And it influences every part of my life. I read, I, I read, and I watched this week the life of William Carey. And, it, and William Carey is what they call the father of modern missions. <laughs> and I ended up weeping over his life. He got a call. You would think that if God was going to start modern missions, do you know, he would call somebody who had a blue blood education. And if he was going to use somebody in translation, he would have the finest degree in linguistics. Oh, God's so cute. He never does things like we think. <laughs> what does he do? He calls a cobbler who was led to the Lord by another cobbler. And a cobbler who made available to God his mind. And, and Carrie sat there and began to work on his shoes with a map of the world on the wall and his Bible open. And God said, Carrie, I want you to go to India. He was married, had four little children, and his little wife was illiterate. It was in the late 1700s. She could not read or write. Absolutely traumatized to go to India. Can you imagine? But she went and her sister went with her to give her security. They went, she went with a new baby. They got into India, and you'd think if God called him, he'd call him with a wife that was strong and smart and could be a helpmate. But she wasn't. And when she lost two of her babies over there, she, she couldn't cope with it. And she, the last 13 years of her life, she was mentally ill. From the stress, from the loneliness, from not understanding what her husband was doing, people said, "Just put her away." He said, "I could not." He said, "The price she has paid to follow me, I could never." He said, "He said, if think that God would call you into modern to to start missions, He would give you financial backing." Oh, my goodness, they went years on end and never had meat. No one ever understood quite while they were there, but there was a burning passion in his heart he couldn't let go of. And he thought of going home, but when he kept seeing little Indian wives that were thrown on with sati, that were thrown on the pyre with their husbands when they died, He said, I cannot go till God moves in and breaks this evil practice. And these wives are allowed to live. And there was no scripture translated into any Indian dialects. And his heart began to be moved to do Bible translation and began to be quickened. God sent over two other people to help him, the Marshmans and Ward. Ward was a printer. He arrived when he finished the New Testament in Bengali. They were thrilled. Do you know what? One night when they had most of the things in translation, the printing press went up in absolute frames, and every bit of his labor was lost. And like Jeremiah, he had to begin at the very beginning. It took seven years before he got the first convert. And the first one was allowed to live. The second one was martyred. Then you think, well, Lord, please. Couldn't it be a little bit easier? Kept on preaching, kept on writing, kept on translating. And he didn't quit because of the call of God upon his heart. He worked with Marshman and Ward, and they lived on, they had the printing press, they taught school, everything they got, they put together for the work in India. And they just ate, put on their backs, and ate, and what they wore, that's all they took for themselves. One of the most painful things was when the Little Missionary Society in England accused them of unnecessary luxury and gave him a very hard time. When he actually died, the bank that they had put the money in for all the Indian work went bankrupt. And to be buried, Carrie had, they had to sell all his library to pay for his funeral and to give something to the one little son, Felix, that had lived now a man, a young man to be able to give a little bit of inheritance to Felix. He died with absolutely nothing physically. But let me tell you what he left. 200 years after his death, the Indian government published a postage stamp in his honor. He had translated, in spite of all the trauma in his life, the Bible into six different languages. Portions of it into twenty-nine more. He had established a hundred schools for boys, and in the cataclysmic thing, for little girls as well. He had started Serampore College, that's now a leading Indian university. He had started the first horticultural society in India, because he was always working with plants and botany to help the Indians to know to improve their diet and the way they live. He started the very first Indian newspaper. He wrote dictionaries and grammars in five different languages. He worked with Rojan, Ran Mohan, Roy to get rid of Sati. And it was absolutely abolished because of their work on it, the destruction of little widows. He translated Indian literature into Bengali, and he started the Bengali Renaissance for this Indian culture. His motto was expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. In 1793, when he sailed to India, it was the beginning of modern missions and he became a lifelong friend of India that India has never gotten over the impact of one man who paid the price To share the gospel. Do you know what you and I want? We want to be able to live for Jesus. We want to be able to reach the world for Jesus. But we don't want to suffer. And we don't want to pay a price. And you know what he said? That I might know him. In the power of his resurrection. And in the fellowship of his suffering. At the end of our time today. I would like to call you and I as women into radical discipleship to Jesus Christ. The question for me today, is there something in my heart that not only would live for him, but would die for him? What are we willing to suffer that others might know Jesus Christ? To get our hearts ready in preparation for our prayer walk. To get our hearts ready to give us a spirit of what it meant for Jeremiah, for 46 years to faithfully share Jesus and only get rejection and rebellion, but the end isn't yet. The church, the remnant came back from Israel and from Egypt, uh, from Babylon, and when they came back, they never again worshipped false idols. They never again gave them as a whole people group to lasciviousness and to, to wicked immorality. They came back and there was a remnant that had a heart for God. And out of that remnant, who came? <laughs> Jesus. Jesus came. And God is asking today for a remnant that would come out of our group a remnant that would say, Jesus, we want to share you with the whole world and we want to be faithful and appropriate your faithfulness to us to share with the lost world.